Hey, everybody. Welcome to another edition of ETP Building Blocks. Um, gosh, we're getting, I don't know when our one year anniversary of this will be, but I feel like um, we're getting close. So some of you guys have probably listened um, to quite a few of these and or maybe you're new, but definitely appreciate having you on. Um, today, we're going to talk about training for adaptation versus you know, simply exercising to burn calories. So I know even myself in my 20s, I used to think of exercise as a way to be able just to eat more. Um, and so if I had a big meal, then I would think that I could just run it off, um, you know, burning calories. And some of that isn't, you know, necessarily false, but maybe we want to start thinking about training a little differently. So uh, today, Obviously, you can see who we have here. Um, I'm Susie. Briefly, I've been the host moderator of Building Blocks this entire time. And then uh, we also have Amber, so say hello. Hey, guys. Amber here. Super excited to talk to you about this topic this week. And I was showing Susie and Brad my mug. <laughs> so cool. Because abs are great, but have you tried donuts? That's what I'm drinking while we're talking today. Anyway, super excited to be here with you guys. Susie? Cool. And then um, we have Ed, who's also repping. We're all repping ETP hoodies, except for Brad, which we'll get into. Um, <laughs> Ed, why don't you say hello? Hey, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> you said to say hey. So we already went through this many times of who we are. So I figured, you know, just get right to it. Great. Yes. We were just talking about how Ed is the most talkative one of the group. So uh, that's why I need, that's to, I need to refrain. So yes. All right. And last but not least, the one the one member of this panel who is not wearing his ETP hoodie, we have Brad. Yes, I've been shamed um, <laughs> to not wearing my Eat to Perform branded gear. I'm still wearing a hoodie today, um, oh, okay. but my, my ETP branded one is currently wet in the wash because when you're married, your wife forces you to wash your clothes. So <laughs> there's that. Um, well, great. So we'll go right into the topic. Some of this might be uh, fairly basic. Um, some of this might be a little complicated. I'm not sure, you know, where we ended up, um, you know, as far as the uh, overall difficulty of what we're going to go through. Uh, but stick around for the Q&A because um, that's where you've got Dr. Brad here. Um, you've got Ed, who's got a degree in, in uh, exercise physiology. And so hopefully we can use their resources, um, anything that we sort of leave unsaid or that might be confusing as we go through it. Um, just know that you'll have an opportunity at the end to ask questions. And the way you do that on this, uh, there's like a little hand raised. You just click on that, type in your question, and we will make sure that we can get through them all um, once we get through the topic. So cool. So, you know, super basic, you know, reasons why we train. Um, I'm going to list off some of the obvious ones. Obviously, you know, better aesthetics, want to look better in the mirror. Um, losing weight, um, and that's the burning calories piece. Uh, getting stronger, um, functional movements. This is, you know, being able to do things around the house, um, you know, basic squats, uh, picking things up that you're going to need to pick up, moving furniture, those sort of things, and, and aging well. So let me talk to you. Let me go to Brad a bit. I, I'm sure you have seen this. Um, fMRI imaging So talk about some of the other reasons that exercise is good for us. Oh, so, you know, it's one of those things where when we, the way I like to put it into context is, you know, one of the whole goals of, of modern medicine really is to find ways to make you live longer um, and, and be healthier for span of your lifetime right so increase quality of life and increase longevity and of all of the things that we've seen there's very few that are as effective as exercise right whether it's from a metabolic standpoint uh, whether it's from a physical capacity standpoint whether it's from a mental health standpoint um, you know 
of all of the interventions that we have in terms of chronic disease, um, longevity, and quality of life as you age, nothing has the same effect as exercise. Um, and that's, you know, the several trillion dollars we've spent on biomedical research, right, is everything points back to physical exercise is one of the key components of longevity, of quality of life as you age, and disease prevention. Yes. Is there any truth to those, like, how, does it matter how many minutes a day you exercise or that sort of thing? Um, you know, so there's, there's a lot of, like, guidelines. So, like, the American College of Sports Medicine has exercise guidelines. Um, the American Heart Association has exercise guidelines. The American Diabetes Association has guidelines. European agencies have guidelines. And they're all basically designed to say what's kind of the minimum level of requirement, you know, for you to have a therapeutic effect. Um, and that's, that's much different than, you know, chasing some sort of adaptation or longevity. So those, those guidelines and those kind of principles of, you know, here's how much and when and all those sorts of things are very, um, they're very basic and they're very kind of broad spectrum stuff. It's kind of like when people say, you know, a diet, it's like eat your fruits and vegetables. It's like, okay, that's great. But that doesn't really tell me, you know, what does that mean? Like how much should I eat? When should I eat them, et cetera. So it's the guidelines around exercise are, you know, fairly broad and not specific. Okay, cool. I just, that just popped into my brain as we were talking about this. So um, I'm going to just move on from this. We all, you know, obviously have different reasons we train. Um, some of us maybe grew up um, where exercise was part of our, you know, culture. You know, maybe you've been doing sports since a very young age. And then there are others of us who, you know, that was not a part of our lifestyle growing up. And then, you know, so maybe we're new to exercise now. So Amber, was did you, were you a lifelong exerciser? I played sports as a kid, but that wasn't part of my family environment, no. Um, so been seen as um, an oddball in that <laughs> respect. Um, you know, it gets taken to a little bit of an extreme, but um, their viewpoint thinks that I, exercising regularly is an extreme. But anyways, um, so it, it is a lifestyle of my family right now. My kids and, and um, husband and I make an effort to... Uh, be active, whether that's training for something specific or just going for a hike with the dogs. Uh, just moving is part of our everyday um, activity. Cool. What about you, Ed? Yeah, so I started, um, I actually started with mixed martial arts, which isn't like the normal type of like resistance training or anything like that. But I, I didn't even want to do it. My dad forced me to. He's like, all right, well, you need to go the first day. And I was like, I really yeah. don't want to. And he made me go anyway. And he's like, you can't quit until you get a black belt. So <laughs> I did that for 13 years. Um, I started with that. I did some baseball. Uh, then I played football. So I grew up playing a lot of different sports and uh, resistance training. But most of my family really wasn't super active or into working out at all, except my dad. I have two sisters and my mom. So I was kind of the only one really doing a lot of training. So yeah, I grew up since I was five years old, starting to do some sort of training. Yeah, interesting. Okay, so let's move on to what training actually does. So, so, and by training, um, this is sort of broad, um, in the sense of you know, there's like Ed mentioned, there's mixed martial arts, there's uh, you know, endurance events, there's um, weightlifting, you know, all of those things. So, um, let's have Dr. Brad kind of run through this. You can hit the bullet points, so you can go a bit more in depth on this. What are we actually doing when we are training? Yeah, so there's kind of a few ways to look at it. And, you know, I, I kind of view it as, as three separate pieces is, you know, training itself has a few immediate effects, right? Is there's uh, increased metabolism, right? So you have caloric expenditure increases, um, increased oxygen consumption, uh, hormonal responses, uh, things like that, right? So you have these acute responses um, that are physiologically important. Some are beneficial, some are detrimental. You just kind of have a broad response of physical activity. That's the kind of 
you know, immediately acute things that happen. Very broad, broad spectrum. Um, and then you have, you know, this idea of stress response, right? So you have these immediate things that your body does in response to exercise. And then one of the, one of the points of exercise is that it stimulates some sort of stress response on your body. Um, and then your body long-term will adapt to that, right? So you, you've got kind of those three components is you've got the, the piece where your body is doing things to accomplish the work that you're trying to do. Um, you have a specific stress that you're putting on your body depending on what it is, right? So if it's, if it's aerobic work, um, it's largely uh, oxygen consumption, metabolic, hemodynamic stress. Um, and then you've got some loading, you know, if you're running or things like that. Um, and then you've got the adaptation from that over time, right? So aerobic adaptations would be things like increased um, stroke volume of your heart. You know, you'd have increased mitochondrial density. Your capillaries would, you know, you'd have increased capillary density, things like that. Um, and then on the other side of the spectrum is you have things like neurological adaptations to, you know, strength work. You have muscle hypertrophy with, you know, weightlifting, you know, that kind of thing. So you've got a broad stress response and then the adaptations to those over time. Uh, so that's, that's the few ways, you know, that what training causes your body to do. And then, you know, some of the, some of the things to understand about biological systems is they are, one of the ways to view them is that they're kind of lazy, right? Is it requires a lot of energy to do things and it requires a, a lot of energy to adapt to things. So your body is only going to adapt if there's a new novel stimulus, right? It's kind of like, um, you know, if you think about weightlifting, for example, if you always lift the same amount of weight, your body's never going to get stronger because why would it, right? Unless, unless you're requiring your body to adapt, you know, through some very specific you know, overloaded stimulus, your body's never going to take more steps than it needs to to adapt, especially if it's, you know, metabolically intensive. Um, and on the flip side of the coin is your body will very quickly adapt to no stimulus. Um, so think about, like, you know, muscle mass. Um, you know, your muscle mass, it takes a lot to increase it, right? Is if you want to add 5 to 10 pounds of muscle tissue, it takes a lot of time and a lot of food and a lot of stimulus. But if you stop training, you know, your muscles will atrophy fairly quickly. Did that, did that cover all the bases here? Yeah. So, you know, and, and some of this other, like, so, um, you know, increasing your capacity to exercise. So you'll notice you start, um, you know, a new program or you're doing something, um, you know, maybe you're, you're brand new to say it's, you decide, you know, you're going to do like a couch to 5k program. Eventually, you know, your ability to do that sort of exercise does increase. So, um, so when we are training, um, the way we say it is we exercise to get better at exercise. <laughs> so, um, you know, that's one thing that you need to be looking at, um, with your program. Are you increasing that capacity? Um, and then by the amount of stress must be sufficient, just like Dr. Brad was saying, you know, if you always go to the gym and do, you know, 10 pound dumbbells and you never increase that, um, then your training isn't going to be um, effective enough, you know, to see improvements. Um, and then basically, you know, the amount of your overall level of physical fitness um, is a reflection of your training, because the more you train, the more your, um, you know, physical fitness will improve um, so that's basically that um, and I know you have a lot of um, you know work in this with your degree and everything is there anything we've missed about what training does um, no I think I think you guys really covered everything that needed to be said about this slide uh, I don't okay. really think I could add anything to it so um, cool so what are the factors that determine sort of the rate and type of gains. So one of the questions we get a lot is, um, you know, kind of how fast um, am I going to see um, changes in my muscles? Um, how, what, or maybe what type of exercise do I need to be doing? Say, you know, I want abs, you know, so, so what types of exercises, you know, are going to, um, you know, help me 
achieve what I'm looking for. So Brad, let's talk a little bit about overload, specificity, specificity, <laughs> and kind of the things that we need to be looking at in a training program. Yeah, so I think I'll probably tackle specificity first, because um, I think that's probably the, the most important topic. So your, your body responds to the stimulus you give it. Um, and if you give it the right stimulus, it'll respond to the way you want it to, but if you don't, it won't, right? So it's, it, it's, it's a very simple concept, but I think a lot of people don't really spend a lot of time thinking about it, right? So if, if you wanna build muscle tissue, you know, running a marathon does not do that. Um, if you want to run a marathon, you can't bicep curl your way to running a marathon, right? Like take the far ends of the extreme and kind of put those in your mind and that really starts to tell you, okay, that, that's how your body adapts to things, right? Um, and so that's, that's the first piece, right? Is understanding specificity is your body will only respond to this type of stimulus you give it. Um, so that's, that's number one. And then from there, you know, there's kind of a few concepts is, the first one is, you know, this, this idea of your body will respond to the next level of stimulus, right? So if you take somebody who's completely untrained, right, like has not gotten off the couch for 15, 20 years, and they go and they start doing, you know, something, let's just say CrossFit, right, which is a general stimulus thing, right? You get some aerobic work, you get some muscle work, um, you get some strength work, right? So if somebody has, you know, a very low threshold for all of those and they're getting a little bit of stimulus in all those areas, they will see some improvements in their aerobic capacity. They'll see some improvements in their strength capacity. They'll see some increases in their, their muscle tissue um, because they have this minimum level of fitness and everything they're doing is a little bit on top of that. And then once they get to the level where they're matching their stimulus, to improve in each area, they have to start getting more specific, right? Um, and the further you get in your training to elicit adaptations, the higher the level of threshold that training has to be. Um, and so that's that's a big piece to understand. So from there, you know, what it comes down to is in each of those areas, you have to have some level of overload, which means, you know, if your capacity is a seven, you have to give yourself an eight or a nine to see improvements. Um, that's true for aerobic work. That's true for muscle size. Um, that's true for muscle endurance. That's true for strength. Um, that's true for pretty much every adaptation. And then from there, it's you have to progressively increase, right? So you can't go from a seven to a 12. You have to go seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, right? In these arbitrary units I'm making up, right? So it's, it's just like, you know, you can't go to the gym and go from squatting 100 pounds to squatting 1,000 pounds, right? You have to go from 100 to 105 to 110 to 120, et cetera. Um, and that applies for muscle size, right? You're not going to go from 12-inch biceps to 20-inch biceps. You know, you've got to go 12, 12 and a half, 13, 13 and a half, 14, 14 and a half. Same with aerobic work, right? You are not going to be able to go from two miles to 26 miles in a week. You have to progressively increase things. And then... There's also this idea of, you know, these linear increases all the time. That's not how your body works. Um, you kind of have to have periods of, you know, what we'll call overreaching, right, where you really stress your body, and then you pull back and you let your body adapt, right? You really stress your body, you pull back and you adapt. It's kind of like, just think about your day, right? You can't just be awake and work all the time. At some point, you have to sleep, and your body has to recover so you can wake up the next day and keep going kind of the same thing with your body and giving it stimulus and then letting it, you know, have some downtime to respond to that. Cool. So how does that feeling of, say, like soreness factor into this? So um, do you always want to feel sore after a workout? Is Does that mean that you're seeing improvements or um, talk to me about that feeling? Yeah, so uh, first of all, the whole like phenomenon of muscle soreness is not like fully understood, right? So we don't know exactly what causes it or, um, you know, there's, there's a lot of ideas of different components that contribute to it and what increases your likelihood of getting sore. Um, so that's just kind of the first thing. It's just interesting that, you know, humans have experienced being sore for 
I don't know, we've been on this planet for about 250,000 years and we still haven't figured out that, right? Is why is it when you squat, you can't sit on the toilet the next day? We have no idea. Um, so, but that anecdote aside is soreness is a product of training, um, but it doesn't mean it was effective and it doesn't mean that you're going to have a beneficial response to it. Um, it's just a byproduct of, you know, what happens to muscle tissue um, when it's exercised in a certain way to a certain volume um, with either inadequate nutrition or sleep or preparedness or whatever is kind of one of the risk factors for it. But soreness by itself is not a marker of um, success or failure of a workout. That doesn't mean it's it's necessarily a bad thing. Like if you get sore, it doesn't mean your workout was a bad workout, but it also doesn't mean you know, that it was a highly effective workout either. It's just kind of one of those things that's there. Right, like it just kind of is what it is. But I do know that people have this concept that sometimes like if they did a workout and they weren't sore, that maybe that there wasn't a benefit from that. And, and so what Brad is saying um, is that that's not necessarily true. So. Yeah, it's just, it's not a good barometer of a successful training session or not. Right. And then sometimes if you find yourself, you're sore all the time, um, then you aren't able to then, you either end up taking several days off um, to recover from that, or, um, you know, you aren't able to have that progressive overload because you're just too sore to do it. So, um, you know, that is something to take into account and, and something you can also talk to your coach about. Um, if you feel like the soreness is keeping you from, you know, seeing some improvements, right? It's holding you back. Yes. <laughs> Amber, I know your experience with CrossFit. How does it work, um, you know, with the way CrossFit does training? I know, obviously, you'll have people new to your gym that see some rapid improvement. Um, how do people get improvement beyond those beginner-type gains? So one of the things Brad was talking about was overreaching and then pulling back. So uh, doing um, what we would call like a training cycle. So we're working through building up percentages or sets or reps or, or increasing, you know, the um, stimulus for somebody and then testing and then pulling that back to find out what your new uh, baseline would be and then starting again. So same thing could be said for uh, a runner. If you're not in CrossFit, you do your training runs, you do a timed trial and then base base that new time off of your next six weeks of training kind of thing. So having some sort of plan to continue to push towards that goal or, or work towards whatever it is that you're specifically interested in. So um, how does that work in in CrossFit? We, you know, plan out the workouts with goals in mind so that people are seeing some progression in their strength. Right, and I know you'll repeat workouts over the course of a year so you can see your improvements you know, in a particular workout, but since you had experience with that, I wanted to get your thoughts. Um, so here's some other factors that are gonna play into your rate and type of gain. So um, when we talk about reversibility, um, that's exactly what Brad was talking about. Um, injury, um, atrophy, um, actually, you know, decreasing strength of muscle. So this can happen with time off, um, surgery, uh, you know, anything that's going to prevent you from, um, you know, your your regular training program. And then really what I want Brad to hit on is these individual differences. Um, so what, you know, everybody kind of wants to know how fast is it, this going to occur, but let's talk about, um, you know, the variability between individuals and, and what can slow down progress or, you know, what do we have working against us or for us? Yeah, you know, one of the biggest things that we've learned over the last probably five or six years of, of exercise science um, is that there's large individual responses, both in terms of like strength gains uh, and hypertrophy um, and even aerobic adaptation to exercise. Um, so, you know, one person in a study who has the exact same protocol, everything is another person may, you know, see a one pound increase in muscle tissue and somebody else may see a six pound increase in muscle tissue. Um, so there's, there's large inter-individual 
variations amongst people. Um, exactly what causes those, we don't really know for sure. Um, we do know genetics plays some role. Um, exactly what those genetics are, I don't think anybody has any idea. Um, you know, there's there are some things that we know about, you know, like just gene expression, you know, how how people express genes that are involved in adaptation, specific adaptations, there's genetic differences. Um, but we just, we don't really know what causes those, those differences. But the big thing to realize is, you know, don't compare your own adaptation to somebody else's, right? Um, you can, you can be in the gym and have a training partner. You guys do the exact same workouts, you know, and they can see huge improvements and you can see very, very little, or you can see huge improvements and they can see very little. Um, but just really, there's huge individual variation. Um, and I think that's an important thing for people to understand. And that's why, you know, a lot of our coaching is, is very one-on-one -on -one individualized. Um, you know, each person has different muscle fiber types, right? Um, you know, some people have more type two than type one or fast twitch, slow twitch, and that varies across people. Um, you know, it, it also does change depending on know how long you've been training in a certain variety so we do know that you know people who have been long-term endurance athletes you know there is a shift towards more type 1 fibers um, than type 2 and that the opposite occurs in other types of training so there's just big individual differences based on genetics based on training background and then based on all the other things of your life right how old are you are you a male are you a female um, you know what's your hormone levels, how much are you eating, how much are you sleeping, um, are you taking, you know, exogenous steroids, kind of the whole, all those things make a big difference. Right, so a lot of times, you know, when we get the question, well, you know, when can I expect to see changes? It's a big fat, it depends, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, but what about the people who say, you know, I put on muscle quickly, is there, so there is some truth to that, or is that mainly um, still variable? <sighs> Um, so some people put on muscle more easily than others, but that doesn't mean it's easy, right? Is most people who indicate that they put on muscle very easily typically are just they go from, you know, not eating a whole lot of food, so they're pretty glycogen depleted, and then they eat a lot of food, and their muscles fill up, and they feel like they've put on a lot of muscle tissue. Um, but most studies, even the people who are like hyper responders, even their rate of accruing muscle tissue is still relatively slow. I mean, we're talking, you know, a pound a month kind of at the maximum, unless you're like an 18-year-old male who's, you know, you just get to do whatever you want and, and have huge, huge gains because you're an 18-year-old male. But most people who are, you know, grown adults, um, you know, 30 years and older, you know, nobody has these huge massive responses. Um, you know, it's not like people put on five or six pounds of muscle tissue in a month. That's just very, very, very rare. Um, and those people are typically Olympians or, you know, some sort of professional athlete anyway. Yeah. Well, and Amber, what do you say to people who, you know, are, are kind of stuck on comparing themselves with someone else's progress? Goodness. I mean, we get that all, all the time. And just like what you said, reining that back in with, um, you know, each individual journey and all the things that make you different from somebody else and um, looking at just just you and, and what are we doing for just you versus anybody else kind of thing. Um, one of the biggest things that I find in my CrossFit gym is you can increase either the frequency, the intensity, time, or type of what you're doing to reach that, to have that overreaching, to, ha to kind of have that overload to create some sort of adaptation. So nine times out of 10, people want to increase frequency. They want to come into the gym. Like if I come in every day, I'm coming in seven days a week. I, I want unlimited. And, th and that's how I'm going to get super strong and look like, you know, so-and-so that I see on TV. Instead of looking at, can you increase, you know, reduce the number of days that you're coming in and can we increase the intensity instead of using the same 65 pounds on the bar every single time you're coming in those seven days, can we make it 75 pounds 
and take two days away? Can we look at some different factors that would be more specific to you in order to gain and get those gains versus what, you know, so-and-so is doing at 530 class that you want to be just like, let's, let's look at what are you doing to increase your fitness or achieve your goals? Yeah, I, I think we of, often think of this as a female issue, but Ed, I know, um, you know, there's probably some temptation, obviously people that you follow on Instagram or guys at the gym, you know, how does that work? How do you keep yourself in your own lane? Yeah, I think uh, just, you know, I, I lift with a few people and we'll have similar diets. We do the same type of training and there's some people that are bigger than me and then some people that are smaller than me. So you kind of just have to try to get better every day, try to increase the volume or, you know, increase the weight every time you go into the gym and just, you know, just compare yourself to like to you. That's that's all you could do. Right. So, um, you know, just you just really have to focus on you. That's that's what it is. And a lot, I think a lot of people just think that it happens really quickly. Like they'll get fit. Everyone could get fit. It just, you know, you need to ex you need to expand your time frame. And that's the same thing with fat loss. So a lot of people be like, oh, I wish I looked like you. I've been training for 10 years, you know, so it, it's not like I got this way in two weeks of training. So just be patient, work to get better every single day and the results will come. Yeah. And don't don't get stuck on the time frame, too, because yeah. that's exactly right. Like some people have been doing this, you know, since they were 15 years old and then, um, you know, they've got a massive following on Instagram and, and you, you know, it may look like some sort of an overnight transformation, but I guarantee it's not. So, mm -hmm. um, you know, hang in there. Let's see. We're going to talk about what happens when training breaks down. Um, so this concept of, of training for strength and endurance simultaneously. Um, and I'll have Brad hit on it, too. But but the main point that I wanted to make is when you, you know, go do an hour strength training session and then you follow it up with six miles of running. Um, your brain doesn't know what you're trying to adapt to. Are you trying to get stronger? Are you trying to get faster? Are you looking for cardiovascular improvements? You know, so when you're doing these things back to back, you may be as a beginner, you may be able to get better at both. Um, but I don't think that your muscles can adapt optimally um, when you are training like that. Um, Brad, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, you know, there's my view on things is always, you know, kind of understand what your goals are, um, you know, and if you just want to get maybe a tiny bit stronger and have a little bit more endurance, you know, you can do both. Um, but if you really want to see large improvements in one or the other, um, you really need to kind of spend more time focusing on one or the other than trying to, you know, chew it all at once. I kind of think about it, you know, as if you want to be a doctor and a lawyer, you can probably do that, right? Like you could probably go to med school from, you know, 22 to 26, and then you could probably go to law school from, you know, 27 to 30, and you can be a, an MD, JD. Um, but if you want to be a world-class neurosurgeon, you probably, after you finish med school, should go to a residency and then do a fellowship and then start cutting people's brains open. Um, you probably shouldn't go hang out in the public defendant's office and you know defend people who are breaking into cars, right? Like the same thing applies for training, right? Is if you want to be really good in one area, um, you need to spend more of your time working on that. And so what I tell people is, you know, we all want to be stronger, we all want to be faster, we all want to have more endurance, and we can all do that over the span of our lifetime. But it's probably better to break those into chunks, right? Is you know focus on strength for 16 weeks, you know get a lot stronger, and then go do some more endurance work, um, or then go do some more muscle growth hypertrophy work, um, and kind of you know, chunking your blocks of training together is typically more effective for people than trying to do it all at once. Cool. Um, yeah, and that's basically what I was getting at. And I do, I do think, um, you know, there are, or I guess it's what I want to say is it does come down to your goal. So, um, you know, if you're fine with seeing some minimal, minimal improvements or you only have so many hours in the day, so you, you want to, do your run and your strength workout all at the 
same time. There's nothing wrong with doing it that way, but it's definitely, that was a good analogy in the sense that um, specializing for a period of time will help you, you know, see faster improvements than trying to do um, everything at once. So to get through this slide, um, you know, also training can break down when you're not eating enough. Um, Brad, you've talked about um, the amount of food it takes to add muscle. Um, yeah. Hit on that a little bit more. This is kind of the concept where, you know, we talk about training for adaptation versus training for caloric expenditure, right? Is the whole point of training is to elicit an adaptation. Um, and you need to fuel those adaptations if you want to see any any adaptation, right? Is if you want to get stronger, your body needs food to recover and adapt. Um, if you want to build muscle tissue, your body needs to recover and adapt. If you're an endurance athlete and you want to make sure you know you're not ending up with stress fractures or you know immunocompromised or you know you're recovered for the next training day, you need to fuel so your body's adapting. Um, and then you know, there's periods where if you want to be in a calorie deficit, you need to realize, you know, your training adaptations are going to be suboptimal. Um, so there's periods where, you know, when you really want to adapt to training, you need to be well fed. When there's periods where you don't care how good your adaptation to training is, but you, you know, it's summertime and you're going to be at the lake, you know, it's like, okay, from March until June, my training is probably not going to be that great. I'm not going to see huge improvements in my training. So I'm going to be in a calorie deficit. Um, so just starting to understand what the purpose of your training is and how food plays into your adaptations or lack of adaptations. Right. And this goes hand in hand with why we look at, you know, fat loss cycles in a sense so that um, you're not trying to eat in a deficit when you, um, you know, are marathon training. Um, or, you know, you're doing a very specific like a, you know, 16 week block in the gym, things like that. Um, so that's also very important to consider, um, you know, when you sit down and look at your year um, and then specific training goals that you have um, so that you are not, um, you know, trying to do all things at once. So I know we get a lot of people come in and say, well, my number one goals are to get stronger and to lose fat. So in some of those instances, you might have to look at which one do you want first. Um, Amber, what do you have to say about that? I think that's a huge piece that a lot of people misunderstand is marrying these two together, that they're not independent. Like Brad was talking about, you, you have to have the food in order to, you know, achieve those strength goals. They're, they're, they go hand in hand. You, you it, um, can't do one without the other. And, and I do think that's a huge misunderstanding piece that's, that is um, misunderstood because your uh, interpretation of eating a lot of food uh, maybe isn't a whole lot of food and, and maybe isn't enough to really fuel those gains that you're looking for, but it sure feels like an awful lot that you're, you know, eating all day. But that's one of the things that we can help you with as coaches is quantifying that amount. How much are you eating and working with you uh, to make sure that it is enough to achieve those goals. I think that's a huge asset that we provide. Right. And then, you know, trying to um, eat in a deficit, trying to outrun your calories um, will lead to poor sleep. Um, things will start to break down and that's what leads to injury, which then ultimately creates this cycle because now you're injured and think you need to eat even less but your body needs food to recover from the injury, you know, and then you just kind of, if you find yourself constantly dealing with injuries, um, you know, food is definitely something to take a look at. And then obviously, are you giving yourself enough downtime um, and are you getting enough sleep? Those factors. Um, we are about to head to the Q&A. Was there anything else on this you'd like to add, Ed? Uh, I think you guys nailed most of it, but I could say that, you know, if you're always chronically under eating, then you're um, sacrificing your metabolism. So that's being downregulated. Your hormones are downregulated. Um, like you said, Susie, uh, sleep ha is probably not going to be great. Your mood isn't going to be great either. There's been many studies that show that, you know, you'd be more depressed and anxious in a like if you're chronically under eating and underfed. So I think that's really important. And if you're not getting enough protein, then you're not gonna be able to get those amino acids to build your uh, muscles. 
And, you know, I've never gotten any stronger in a caloric deficit. My workouts are never great when I'm in a caloric deficit. So um, that's why it's important to not always be um, in a fat loss cycle and trying to lose weight constantly because you're never building that lean body mass to speed up your resting metabolic rate and all of those things and build more muscle, which is so important. Yeah, good point. And Dr. Brad, that's something I wanted to ask you about. So sometimes when you're eating in a deficit, uh, how is it that some people might set a new PR, but that's not actually gaining muscle? Can you talk about that? Do you know what I'm asking you? Yeah, so it's kind of like, you know, there's there's no universal rule. Like, you know, it's not like it's the second law of thermodynamics, right, where the universe will break if it breaks. It's like you can make progress when you're eating in a calorie deficit, right? But it's probably not optimal, and it's not going to last forever, right? Um, and you're probably sacrificing something somewhere that you don't know. Um, you know, your your risk of injury may be increasing, and you don't notice it. You know, your your hormones may be dropping, and you don't notice it. Um, but you can continue to make progress until then you just can't. Um, and so it's, you know, just because it's just because it's possible doesn't mean it's the best way to do it either. I mean, you know, I've I've seen improvements when I've been in a calorie deficit, but I know, you know, that like that's not the that's not the normal thing. Um, and that's not like, you know, how you get there all the time. It's kind of like, you know, if you never practice for a sport, but you get in the game and you hit a fluke game-winning shot, well, you're not gonna end up being Michael Jordan because you hit that one shot, right? But, you know, you got lucky and it turned out in your favor that time, but you're you're probably better off practicing than getting lucky. Right, yeah, good point. All right, cool, so, oh, I did have one more slide, sorry. So why, why not train just to burn calories? Um, let's talk about this um, a little bit. I can hit on, you know, First of all, overall exercise is really only a fraction of your total calorie burn. Um, as you get better at exercise, your body will burn fewer calories to do that exercise. Um, and then I think, you know, sort of nonspecific goals lead to nonspecific results. So if your only goal is just to burn some calories, um, the results become very nonspecific, <laughs> for lack of a better word. And then talk a little bit at the end about kind of what you, Dr. Brad, Ed, Amber, maybe, you know, what we recommend as a good solid um, training program that would coincide with um, periods of um, eating in a deficit and periods of, of eating in a more robust way. Um, so, yeah. So talk about yeah. that, Brad. Why, why not train just to burn calories? Well, here's kind of my view, and this is my view on everything in life, is be efficient with your time, right? If you're going to be in the gym for seven hours a week, why would you not use that to get a specific result, right? It's like, why would I just spin my wheels not chasing what I want to chase, right? So that's probably the first thing is it's like, okay, if I want if I want to get stronger and I'm going to be in the gym doing work, why don't I focus on that? Um, if I want to have a better physique, why would I not focus on training to get a better physique? Why would I go in and jump on the treadmill? If I'm going to be there spending the time and the energy um, and getting out of bed at 4 a.m. to go to the gym, like, I want to get the result that I'm chasing. So that's probably the first piece. Um, the other piece is, you know, in terms of, like, sustained progress, I think everybody does better when you're seeing the results you want, right? If you go to the gym for every day for 10 years and you look and feel the exact same as you did from day one because you haven't adapted at all, you're probably not going to stick with it long term. But if you see results... It's kind of this, you know, self-efficacy feed-forward cycle where it's like, okay, this is working. I'm getting results. I'm going to keep doing it. Um, you know, it's you can kind of make the analogy of, you know, like your financial life, right? Is you spend 40 hours a week or however many hours a week you work making money, right? And you can either take that money and have a plan with it. So in 10 years, you, you know, have enough money saved so you can – do whatever you want, or you can just not have a plan with it, spend it all over the place, you know, buy ring pops at the store because you like them or whatever. And then in 10 years, you 
are still living paycheck to paycheck, you haven't had a plan, and you're still stuck in the same dead-end job because you don't have the opportunity to go anywhere. It's kind of the same thing, you know, is you're going to be spending the time, you're going to be doing the work. The most important thing is to have a plan for how that work is taking you and where it's taking you. So I would say that's like the big picture thing. Now there's a lot of like specifics and details that matter, but I think that's probably the most important concept for people to understand. Right. So overall, just for training, longevity, looking better, um, aging well, what would you recommend? Um, it really kind of depends. Like I think the first thing is do what is sustainable for you, right? Like at this point in my life, the thing that sounds horrible to me is going to the gym and getting on the treadmill like that just sounds horrible i'm not going to do it like you couldn't pay me enough money to do it but i like going in spending an hour lifting weights you know four days a week i like playing basketball twice a week you know i'm getting good adaptation you know i'm in my 30s you know i want to kind of you know as much lean muscle tissue as i can so i have it in, you know going into the later stages of my life um so the first thing is like do what you enjoy that's the first piece and then the second piece is um, you know, I would say the optimal way to do it would be to kind of, you know, understand where you are in your life and what your end goals are. So like for me, the optimal path in my life is, you know, I know, I know between 30 and 45, you know, I can continue to add muscle tissue to my body and it's not horribly difficult. Um, it is if you're me and you refuse to eat food cause I'm a horrible eat to perform client. Um, <laughs> You know, like I want to have good bone density and I want to be, you know, as injury free as possible. Right. So I've like selected those as my big things that I care about. And so, you know, over the next 10 to 15 years, I'm going to make weightlifting a priority. Um, you know, I'm going to make doing sports I enjoy a priority um, and I'm going to minimize the risk of injury. Right. So I'm not powerlifting. I'm not doing Olympic weightlifting anymore because I don't want to like blow out a knee or blow out a back, um, you know, just because like. I know I've had injuries in the past and you know things I want to I want to be able to go to the gym every day and not wake up when I'm 45 and hurt everywhere. So a lot of it's kind of like what is your path in life and where do you want to be and then architecting that around it. But I do think at some point it's kind of having a mixture of you know some resistance training, some aerobic work um, and those the specifics of those can look a lot of different ways. There's no like set program you have to follow but some mixture of both and understanding where you are in your life is pretty important yeah i i completely agree um amber for your thoughts on kind of what you would recommend anything different from that no most important find what you enjoy that's what you're going to be able to sustain you know I, I, um you're not going to do something you don't like you know it's it's like cooking broccoli every night and you don't like broccoli what are, what are we doing here? Let's get some, some vegetables that you do like. I mean, there's other ways to do it. There's other vegetables to eat. So, um, you Why know, you don't hate on broccoli. <laughs> <laughs> so find something that you enjoy. For me, my biggest thing is time with kids and, and work and everything. You know, what can I, what can I do to maximize my goals in a restricted amount of time? Cause I need right. a clone. But well, and there's some things that will motivate you and some things that won't. I am one of those individuals who can absolutely, I can go to the gym, I can do what's programmed for me and I can leave and I can not talk to another individual the entire time I'm there and it's totally fine. Um, there are other people who need group classes because, you know, being part of the group and the energy and the, um, you know, the camaraderie that you get from, from going with your girlfriends or, you know, seeing your friends when you show up at the gym, there are people who need that. Um, so, you know, I don't think that there's any, you know, obviously one way to do it, but think about what plays to your strengths. Um, when you talk about genetics and you, maybe you're not six foot five and, and maybe trying to play on a basketball team is, you know, not for you. Um, but find oh, something that Susie just took a shot right at me with that one. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Bad example, but you know, play something <laughs> play to your genetic strengths. I mean, um, for me, when I was running, I'm not a fast runner. Um, I'm, there's no way I'm going to go out and do sprints, um, but I could run slow all day long. 
So, um, you know, don't feel like your genetics are, are um, something you can't work around um, or you can't play into your training. So um, last but not least, any advice on that, Ed? Yeah, I think I think you just need to find what you really love. And that's that's what you need to do, because that's what's going to be sustainable. That's what you're going to continuously, um, you know, pursue and just keep on doing. Um, as for if you're just new to training and stuff like that and you have no injuries, I would say the best bang for your buck for exercises uh, would be your compound lifts that are found in powerlifting, probably just because you're utilizing more um, muscle groups. So if you are watching this live on the webinar, you saw a chart earlier on squats as opposed to uh, leg press and knee extension and the squat you saw significantly. Yeah. So Susie just brought it up. So significantly higher than the leg press more than double the strength gains and then the knee extensions you got very minimal strength gains so and the reason why is because there's more muscle activation with the squats so you're utilizing your hamstrings your quads your glutes your uh your stability muscles in your core um all of those things so um, unless you're doing different types of squats. So if you do a more narrow stance, you're going to activate more quads. If you're doing a wider stance, you're going to activate more hamstrings and glutes. Um, same thing for bench. A lot of people think that it's just um, your chest and maybe some triceps, but you also have to have good shoulder stability. You have to have strong lats. That's going to help you. Um, and then for deadlifts, you're pretty much activating your whole body. So um, the more muscle activation you can get, the more strength gains you're going to see. Um, the more lean body mass you're going to add, which is muscle, bone density, ligaments, and all of those things. Um, and then also do some sort of cardio, whether it's long distance or HIIT training, uh, because they offer cardio protective benefits. Great. Yeah, thanks for bringing that up. So, you know, when you look at overall longevity, um, one of the one of the biggest determining factors, which you won't think of, um, is your leg strength. Mm -hmm. um, because think about it when you when you get older and, and you fall down um, and break a hip. I mean, you know, a lot of times that's then the beginning of a decline um, that's hard to overcome. So I do recommend some resistance training. Um, no matter what your age <laughs> mm -hmm. or, you know, what you're able to do, it doesn't matter if you squat 10 pounds or squat you know, 110, you know, doing something that will keep those leg muscles, you know, able to provide stability for you as we age will definitely um, promote longevity. Um, yep. So Q&A time. Um, you guys, uh, if you have questions, feel free to type them out. Um, I don't show any questions yet, so we can chat amongst ourselves for a minute <laughs> if you want. Yeah, one of the one of my favorite quotes is that an Olympic athlete and an elderly person have the same degree have the same need. It's the degree of need that changes, or um, the degree of need that that an Olympic athlete would have for their sp specific sport versus what you know grandma has kind of thing. Um, they both have the need to um, push their hips back and sit down and and get in a chair or on a toilet. Now, an Olympic weightlifter is gonna to need to do that with some really, really heavy weight. Grandma doesn't need to do it with heavy weight, but both of them need to get in that position because they both, you know, you're gonna to need to sit on a toilet. So <laughs> I love that quote. That one um, just really puts it in perspective that we all have the same needs. It's just the degree that changes. Right. Agreed. All right, guys, um, let's give it another minute or so, but I'm not seeing any questions. So we were either just unbelievably um, clear <laughs> this whole time, or maybe you just can't think of um, something right now. But um, Brad, what are you up to this weekend? Um, I am going to sleep this weekend. <laughs> That's my goal is catch up on sleep, um, I feel like I, I woke up this morning with like feeling like I'm getting a cold, so I'm gonna try to try to nip that before it gets too crazy. Um, probably hang out with my dog. He had surgery last week, so he's been very uh, he's been like housebound and very sad. So I'm gonna try to spend some time with him. Oh. <laughs> All right, Amber, we have one question. Yeah, Deborah asked, do you recommend eating a uh, 
I think it's, do you recommend eating at specific times to promote a better workout? Brad? Um, so I would say there's two answers to this question. One is we know that consuming carbohydrates before a workout is like the most effective thing you can do to increase your workout capacity and intensity. The second thing would be also, you know, knowing yourself and whether you work out better fed or fasted, right? Like we know that carbohydrates allow you to work out longer and harder. Like there's just, there's no scientific question about that. But there's also some people just hate working out on a full stomach. Um, so it's kind of, you know, weigh the pros and the cons. Um, so like I know for me, I can go to the gym and I can eat like a full meal and go lift weights before and it's great. But I know if I eat like a full meal and then I go play basketball, it's a disaster. Um, so it's kind of like I know there's certain things that are like beneficial for certain types of exercise, but I also kind of manage, you know, how my body responds. Right. And I think that whole idea of there's this eating window um, of, you know, when you should eat, um, how quickly you should eat after is kind of a myth. Correct. Yeah. yeah. The, that window is very large. Right. Um, <laughs> so, as long as you're going to yeah. eat that day, you're probably within the window. right? <laughs> yeah. The post-workout window. Yeah. Yeah. Right. OK. Back to you, Amber. Yeah, Donna says, is there a number of times to go to the gym each week or does that depend on goals? For example, minus fat loss, I try to do powerlifting three times each week with 15 to 20 minutes of cardio. So what I would say is the frequency in which you go doesn't matter that much. What really matters is the total amount of work you do in a week. Um, so whether that's spread out amongst seven days a week or whether that's, you know, two days a week or five days a week, it really depends on what's the total amount of work you do in a week. So the way I think about it is, you know, how much work can I do in a given training session and still recover the next day, right? So I'm not going to do my full week's worth of a workout in one training session because I'd just be a disaster, right? I couldn't move for four days and I'd lay on the couch and then my total activity throughout the week would go down. Um, so it's really of find out what works best for you and try to get, you know, the total amount in a week that you need, right? So if if your training volume right now, let's say, is, is 100 and your next step is, you know, to get 105, whatever that number or unit is, is, do you, is it best for you to get that in two times a week or five times a week or seven times a week? Um, and that's really probably the first way to think about it. That would be my response. Okay. Um, as far as your other question on, on fat loss, I would say too that make sure that you are maximizing your steps, um, all of that non-exercising activity, um, because the power lifting, you're going you know, for the adaptations that we've talked about, um, but all of your non-exercising activity is what's going to drive up your calorie burn um, and provide for that, um, you know, fat loss that you're looking for. Agreed? Agreed. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Back to you, Amber. So uh, Melissa says, are there better ways to prevent or manage DOMS, delayed onset muscle soreness? How much does my friend ibuprofen negate any gains? Question. And I've been away from the gym for a minute, and I feel like I'm twice my age the next couple of days. I know it will get better, but how can I help myself in the short term? Yes. So there's a few ways you can kind of negate DOMS. Is one do a lot less eccentric work, right? So things that involve like a lot of the controlling muscles while they lengthen increases your risk for DOMS. So things like, like especially if you're just getting back into the gym, I wouldn't go back and get a bunch of high volume squatting exercises in because that's like a very eccentrically controlled exercise. Um, so that's the first thing is kind of be specific with your exercises right when you start back, right? So I, I came back from an injury and I didn't squat for a few weeks. I started to do a lot of like 
um, like leg curls and um, you know knee extensions and some RDLs and things like that to slowly kind of get my muscles used to the work. Um, so that'd be the first thing. The other thing is I'd probably do more shorter training sessions during the week than you know three or four really long training sessions. Um, so those would be the first things that I would suggest. And then um, ibuprofen negating any gains. So vitamin I, as we call it in my house, um, <laughs> is you know taking non-steroidals reduces the inflammatory response, which does kind of reduce your body's ability to adapt to training. Um, but that that is pretty minimal. Um, and if you're using it for you know a week or two while you're you're like getting back into training, it's not going to change your long-term adaptations. Um, so I would say, you know, if you're using it for a week, at the, week or two at a time, it's not a big deal. But if you take it like every day after your training, then you're probably, you know, kind of suboptimal in what your training adaptations are. Okay, yeah, that's a good question about ibuprofen. I have heard that too. So. Okay, guys. Well, I think that looks like the end of the Q&A. So we will sign off. Again, feel free um, to refer back to this recording. The link will, the same link you used to join will take you to the recording. Um, and then let your coach know if you have any questions based on what we've talked about or, you know, if you spark some brilliant idea in you that you want to go over with your coach, uh, feel free to share that. So, all right. Perfect. Well, happy Friday, everybody. Yeah. yeah. Have a great weekend, everyone. Great. Everyone enjoy. Stay safe. Hope the weather's good. All right. Take care. Okay, Bye. Okay, bye.